What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome to the AW Match Guide Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thank you for joining me. Uh, And if you have read the title of this podcast, there's no point in me skirting around it. If you've clicked on it, you've probably read the title, Full Gear and Farewell. Uh, This will most likely, I think, be the last episode of the AW Match Guide Podcast. Of course, this is wrestling, so never say never, right? Uh, But I have plans for this to be the final episode Uh, I'll go into details later on as to what's going on, Uh, but I'm pulling up stumps on the podcast. It's been a really fun journey, uh, and I'll get into details why I'm bidding it farewell, Uh, but before then, this is an AEW podcast, uh, and I thought it would be great to talk about Full Gear, because I thought Full Gear was a fantastic show. Um, One of the reasons I'm quitting the podcast is not because I think AEW isn't doing very well at the moment. I'm thoroughly enjoying it, and Full Gear was an example as to why. So I'm going to go a little bit into Full Gear, and then I'll be giving some details about why this podcast will no longer be going forward. Uh, And there's no great controversy, so (laughs) you don't need to worry about that at all. And I have many thanks to give um, to people who have supported me over the years, not just as a podcaster here um, with the AEW stuff I've been doing over the last year, uh, but also as a writer previously, uh, and just generally um, being part of the wrestling fan community um, that I've sort of become a part of uh, and, and really enjoyed being a part of. So I'm just going to have a, a quick sip of beer for the working man, as Stone Cold used to say. Well, let's quickly get into full gear. Um, I had had some... Some thoughts on it that uh, I, I, want, I thought I'd give, I, I thought I'd lay out, because I thought it was a really fun show. Uh, it had a really great pre-show. Uh, man, these zero hours, they are uh, just an awesome sprint. They're just all action, uh, so much better than like the talking head sort of deal, and I feel like I feel like they sell a, a pay-per-view better than those do as well, because, you know, you... You get in there, you get a feel for the crowd. Of course, like, of course, I bought the pod, I bought the pay per view like a month ago. So I, I don't really know. Like, maybe this doesn't actually sell pay per view is better than you know the preview show does in other that, that's done other ways. Um, but I just love how there's just so much action. You see a red hot crowd, and I feel like you get that fear of missing out. You know, you see these great things. You see Ricky Starks and Lance Archer, you know, with Ricky Starks doing this incredible babyface performance, you know, this really old school, sell heavy, um, but get lots of sympathy and then a huge fiery comeback sort of deal um, against this just brutalizing monster in Lance Archer. And then you, of course, have got Junakiyama and Eddie Kingston just having this brawl um, this this fight 
in the center of the ring that felt so authentic and and felt so heated but respectful at the same time. Uh, and then <laughs> them kind of going off air with Eddie Kingston selling the show. They should have him do that every single pay per view if he's you know if he's not on the main card. He should be in the ring with a microphone, just just trumping up support for it, just spruiking because uh, that was fantastic. But. You know, as the pay-per-view got underway, they they really got off to a great start. The first two matches in particular, um, very different tones, of course, for the two matches, but but both absolutely phenomenally successful. Um, Jungle Boy versus Luchasaurus. Uh, You know, I've never really taken Jungle Boy... That's uh, of course I've known that this is a person that the company is behind. He's a young person. He's got a long way to go. Um, but I've never seen the things in him that would make him a future world champion. Really, until this, um, because being a world champion, being the top of the card, it's great if you can do. You know, if you if you're athletic and and you're you're good in ring. But what you really need to do uh, is to be able to connect with the crowd. That's what makes a main eventer. It's that connection they have with the audience. Uh, and there's lots of ways to do that, but it's primarily an emotional thing. Uh, and this was by far the most emotionally affecting match that Jungle Boy has ever had. Uh, you know, it was, and, and it's funny, it was probably meant to be with Christian, you know, things probably got off the rails a little bit, and, and he ended up with Luchasaurus, but I was actually really happy with that, because Jurassic Express, they were a foundational tag team for AEW, you know, the, on those early Dynamites, they were one of the most purely babyface acts, they were so sympathetic, um, so earnest as well. You know, I, I love that they had Marco Stunt in there and that even though he was small and obviously overmatched in every situation just about, they'd still stick by him because he was their mate, right? And and that's what you do um, when you're a good person. You stick by your mates, even when you know they're outmatched and you, you have their back. Uh, and, and I love that about Jurassic Express. And, and it's so great that when this tag team has splintered um, with Luchasaurus turning on Jungle Boy... It's it's ended up in such a heated and emotive match and such a fiery, bloody match. And, and as I said, I've never seen it from Jungle Boy before that, that he could have that kind of emotional connection with the crowd um, and tell that sort of main event level emotional you know, feud or story. And I did in this match. It, it was just fantastic stuff. Also, small note, but whoever told Jungle Boy to pull his hair back and, and have it in a ponytail... They deserve some. They deserve a little bonus. They deserve a little taste, TK, because uh, that was that was brilliant for when he got the blood and, and started bleeding down his face. It was you know his hair wasn't obscuring it. Uh, and, and as soon as I saw that he had his hair pulled back and it's a cage match, I was like, oh yeah, this boy is about to have some blood drip down his face. Uh, and you know I'm very excited for what's next for Jungle Boy. It probably won't be as as successful as this because this was an incredible match. This is by far my favorite Jungle Boy match I've seen. Uh, and I've actually reviewed a couple of Jungle Boy matches here on the podcast that I that I really liked, but this was the first one I'd say I really loved. Um, you know, just so gritty and emotional. Uh, and you know, what a great ending with him jumping off the cage. Uh, he gets that awesome moment up there on the top of the cage, staring out. He milked it, which was brilliant. And, you know, up the top there, I don't know what goes on in a wrestler's mind like that. Wrestlers are maniacs, so they could be thinking anything. But he milked it. 
and he, he took that moment to breathe in and then he dove uh, and we got, you know, the full weight of it. Uh, he didn't quite break the table correctly. Kind of, It actually, you know, he actually hit the move properly because his elbow actually hit <laughs> hit Luchasaurus with the point, which is kind of what you'd want to do if you're actually doing that because the point is the hardest bit. Um, but, you know, it did mean that the table didn't quite shatter the way that you might might have want, they might have wanted it to if, you know, his full body hit Luchasaurus. Uh, but nonetheless, it was a fantastic ending to a match. And yeah, that, that was by far the best match I've ever seen from either of those men, tags or singles. Uh, and yeah, it, it really puts a, a nice bookend on that feud with Jungle Boy. Of course, there's still more to be done with Christian when Christian is healthy, and I'm sure they'll get back to that. But that will allow Jungle Boy to move on to something new with, with more momentum. I'm not sure what that will be, but I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it. And as I said, like I I came out of that with my impre- my my thoughts on Jungle Boy absolutely skyrocketing uh, and 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 so impressed by what he showed there. So yeah, great great opener for the pay per view. And then of course the second one, the second match. I'm just gotta take a drink before I do this. Carry on my wayward sons. Uh, anyone who has listened to this podcast will know that I am a giant fan of the elite. Uh, if you listen to me talking, you know, about what happened at All Out, I was on a podcast called The Outsider's Edge where I gave a really sort of raw take. And then also I spoke to Hangman, Backup Hangman, uh, Hanger, uh, when we talked about uh, CM Punk versus Darby Allen. We, we did touch on what happened at All Out uh, with the the, post, the press conference and the, the, the brawl out. So... Man, seeing the elite came back, come back, it felt so right. Uh, I think I tweeted at the time that you know AEW feels in balance for the first time in a while, and that's because of the you cannot separate the elite from this promotion. You cannot take them out. I, I don't care how many years it is. The elite will always be the the founders of this company and to not have them there just felt so weird, particularly when you knew that they weren't there and it wasn't, it was, it wasn't on their terms that they weren't there. They were there because of this terrible thing that happened. Uh, and so them coming back with what an entrance, such an incredible entrance, um, the music perfectly synced up. I'd never heard that song before. I remember somebody mentioning that they they liked it in the lead up to this, and oh, maybe they'll come back as that, and that they trademarked Wayward Sons or something. So I listened to the song, and I couldn't really hear it as an entrance song, uh, but they nailed it, particularly with the you know the the presentation, the backlit, the the color, the color felt so great. Oh, I love how much color the elite bring. Um, you know, physically with their costumes and everything, but also the way they wrestle and the, their storytelling, it's just so vibrant. And then of course we just got the most elite match you'll ever see. Uh, and yeah, I, I don't normally love these cocaine matches. You know, my, these aren't my favorite elite matches. I, I love the storytelling things that these guys do, like the stuff they did with Hangman or, you know, I love their match with, with Eddie and, and Moxley, which is quite different to this. You know, I don't normally, these cocaine matches aren't my favorite type that they do. Um, just these party tag matches, but I lapped this one up cause it's, I was just so happy to see them back. <laughs> uh, and they made this company 
Uh, and, and it's right that they came back and that they received a hero's welcome when they came back. And, of course, there was the fucking chance with fuck CM Punk and, and, and all that all that sort of stuff. And then at Dynamite this past week, you know, <laughs> they're in Chicago and they're, you know, doing the GTS and doing the failed buckshot and all these things. You know what? I don't care. Uh, CM Punk is a guy who, you know, in that match with Eddie Kingston, he pulled out John Cena's moves. Uh, and... You know, these guys are very alike, uh, and they used it in, I guess, particularly in the um, in the Chicago match. They used it to tell a story that you know, because they were distracted by these things that by by having doing these things, these shots at Punk, they lost. They lost the match, uh, and you can't argue that they didn't do crazy things with the crowd. Uh, and you know, even in this match. <laughs> <laughs> they they just came back in triumphant form. Uh, and having a best of seven with the Lucha Bros, man, just get out of here. That is such an awesome way to return. Uh, and, you know, we haven't seen them with Kenny Omega. Like, we got a glimpse. We got a glimpse of him coming back. And, you know, they told that story in the lead up to All Out with like, is he back to his full potential? And of course he was, but you know, he, he lent into that a little bit. And then you see him come out at the pay-per-view and he looks in the best shape he's looked in forever uh, since he joined AEW. And, and then it just gets ripped away. Uh, and it's not like the Bucks have been really, you know, wrestling all that much uh, over the summer anyway. So having them back and then having getting to luxuriate in the elite and an overdose on them a little bit with this seven match series with the Lucha Bros it is just so good and I can't wait to see what they do across this best of seven series uh, and and it's great that it looks like they're using it to tell a bit of a story I hope it's not I hope that that uh, the Lucha Bros don't win the next match um, and get out to a three nil lead because then it's just too obvious what's happening uh, but even if they do I'm sure these guys, have been sitting at home, you know, when they haven't been thinking about what happened with Punk. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they've been dreaming of finally getting back into into the ring and wrestling. And I just know that they will have come up with something incredible uh, and, and some awesome things. And we've only just started to see um, glimpses of what they have planned. So, yeah, that that match was... Oh, so, so good. Even though I don't love that style as much as some people, uh, it was just so good to see these three guys back uh, and where they belong, I might say. And then, you know, the the show went on after those. The, it was obviously the, the hottest of hot openings, those two matches. I, I love the four-way. Uh, that was a really good match as well. It was a little bit of a lull in the middle of the show. You know, it does... These things do happen when you've got a four-hour show. It does sort of die off a little bit in the middle. But, man, once the once the Hater and Tony Storm match kicked up a gear, this show was, like, well and truly back on track. Uh, and I, I loved that match. I loved how physical it was. It really felt like a statement for the women's division. Tony Storm, Aussie, 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 has been just killing it as the champion, you know, given if she had another three months in her run, I think she would overtake Sheeta as far as I'm concerned as the best champ that they've had. Uh, man, she had such a great run and this was such a great ending to it as well. And Jamie Hayter, more of the same, please. 
Uh, those two are cut from the same cloth. They go hard. They want to go all the time. And, yeah, they they are going to be fantastic champions in this division. I'd love to see a little bit more involvement from the Joshis. That was one of the awesome things in the early AEW was having guys like Riho and Yuka Sakasaki and, of course, Shida turn up regularly. But And it seems like Tony has decided to build the division more around people who are going to be there full-time, which is fair enough. Um, you know, that makes sense given they've got to have a weekly show and, you know, it, it can be a bit disjointed if you've got people showing up and, and, you know, maybe wrestling for two months and then going away again. I get why that's not the case, why they haven't, you know, gone all in on that again. But I I would love to see more of that. But, you know, if, if not, regardless, Jamie Hayter... I think she's going to kill it as champ. She's got so much momentum. She's built that crowd support organically uh, and off the strength of her work as well. So I think we're going to see great things from that. And and having her and Britt, you know, sort of be the cornerstones of this division, if Britt can go off and do, you know, feuds of her own and, and then Jamie Hayter as the champion can have her feuds, that would be fantastic. And then, of course, you've got Jade doing her thing with the TBS championship. That would be a very healthy point for this division. 2022 has been a really good year for the women's division. It has built up well in 2021, uh, and then it's continued on 2022. Still work to do, but my gosh, they've come along in leaps and bounds. Uh, So that's been good to see. The tag championship match between the Acclaim and Swerve in our glory. Man, I was so in love with this I was maybe not in love, but I was I was over the moon with how this match happened. Uh, with the acclaimed, I, I sort of felt like this was the time where you know they've had they've had a fun run, but it's time to give the the big the big dogs back their championship to have the big worker match with FTR because obviously FTR are next. They've got to be um, whoever was winning this is going into some sort of program with FTR, and I felt a little bit like oh. You know, the acclaim to this sort of happy, fun act that has got a lot of organic momentum behind it. But you know, are they really the ones to 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 put into the into the blender with FTR? And how would how would FTR be affected by the fact that the acclaim are obviously audience favourites? Um, but you know what, TK stuck to his guns with the acclaimed, and I think they well and truly earned it. Uh, and, and showed why they deserve it in this match, particularly Bowens. I loved how Bowens was working with his shoulder, and I particularly loved the ending, where, of course, everything... It, I'll get on to Swerve in our glory and what happened with them. Um, everything had exploded in, in Swerve's face, and, and Swerve's left in there with, key, with just the acclaimed, and they go to hoist him up. And of course, they've tried to hoist him up previously and hasn't been able to. But Caster just looks at his partner and goes, you can do it, and looks at him, eggs him on, and Bowens grits his teeth through it, grits his teeth and hoists him up, and they bang him down. I love that moment. It could have been so corny. It could have been so lame, but they did it so authentically, uh, and the audience, they brought the audience with them. The audience cheered him on. It could have been so lame. It could have been the most cliched of things, but he didn't. And that, as I said at the start, like being a top, top guy it's all about emotional engagement and that was emotional engagement the crowd is not just on board with these guys for a bit of fun they are well and truly behind them i don't know how fdr are going to deal with that because 
FDR were the ones that the crowd was well and truly behind at the start of this year, but I don't know that it will be quite as raucously behind them if they're up against the acclaimed. And particularly when Max Caster um, starts to cut some lines about FTR, uh, they could uh, well and truly say some things that make the audience uh, switch sides or, or favor one team significantly, I feel like. So, yeah, I love the Acclaim's performances and, and Swerve in Our Glory. Ah, oh, man, I'm a believer in Swerve Strickland. I remember when... I wrote off Sean Spears when he came to AEW. I was like, "What the? why are they getting this guy? Why are they featuring this guy? What's he done? And I remember Rich Ladder, he said, you never know who's going to be the next Stone Cold. When he came across from WCW, no one expected him to become like the biggest thing in the company, let alone the biggest thing ever in the history of wrestling. But he was. And so that told me, hey... Be patient with these guys that come over. It might take a little while for them to find their feet, find their character, find out what works for them and what truly connects. And then when it does connect, who knows what the what you know what the potential might be. Um, and it might not seem like they have that potential because they've been somewhere else and now they're going to a new home where they might be able to find something that works. Uh, as I said, Stone Cold. Another one, Mick Foley. Like, he came across, you know, both of those guys really well respected. And Mick, of course, was put into a pretty prominent feud with The Undertaker. And he, you know, he got a big push on from the out. But I don't think they expected him to become, you know, the, one of the most beloved wrestlers ever <laughs> in the WWF. Uh, and you never know who that's going to be. It wasn't Sean Spears. He wasn't, he wasn't that diamond in the rough. I, I think it's safe to say it probably wasn't Malachi Black. Probably wasn't Andrade. Uh, you know, Moxley, of course, he's a bit of a different, in a different, a bit of a boat, Moxley and Jericho, because, you know, they were, they were already at that top level. Um, but Swerve, man, the fire in his eyes, the way he has carried this character and slowly created this character and sculpted this sneaky Swerve character is brilliant. I think he is the diamond in the rough. And I think TK knows it. Keith Lee, of course, brilliant. Uh, and, and those two together, now they're in a program, I think are going to create magic. I think it's going to be fantastic. But I think Swerve Strickland, you know, he's the right age. He's got plenty of time left. He is connecting with the audience. The audience is is booing him. He's got a really awesome swagger to him. But the eyes, man, the eyes never lie. And when they confronted Keith Lee... You could see like the scheming, but the hate, the intensity. Oh, I loved it. Uh, and of course, everything blew up in his face in this match, which is exactly what should happen to a giant heel. It, it, you know, they should scheme away. They should they should win the most of the time, but eventually everything should blow up in their face. All their scheming, all their planning, it should all explode in their face. Uh, and that's what happened in this match brilliantly. When Swerve, he slapped, he sla- he, you know, he let his emotions get the better of him. He slapped Keith Lee, and Keith Lee said, "I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. You're on your own, buddy." And he, I don't want to win my a championship with this person that I'm here with right now. And he patted Bowens on the shoulder and walked out, and everything. And of course, Strickland took the took the pin. But man. The sky is the limit for Swerve. I have been so impressed by him. Uh, and 
Cannot wait to see what happens for him. So I love that tag match. And then, of course, the main event, MJF first, John Moxley. Uh, these guys at All Out 2020 had to go out there and land a ship that was, land a plane that was, you know, could potentially have crashed and burst into flames and they landed it successfully. They didn't have, a, you know, they just had to land a, a ship that was flying quite well <laughs> at this point. Uh, so they didn't have quite the task in front of them, but they still nailed it. Uh, I loved how they just lent into the... the. I loved how they lent into the reaction they were getting from the audience. You know, people have said it's, you know, it's a New York crowd, so they're cheering MJF, you know, typical contrarians. I think there was also an element, you know, this guy is a generational talent, and I think the audience recognizes it. And I think there was excitement to be like, I was at the crowd when MJF won his first world championship. Uh, uh, you know, that that is something that would be awesome to be able to say. So I think they were kind of cheering him a bit for that as well. But... Uh, you know, regardless of what happens with the MJF character going forward, we saw this glimpse of an awesome face that he's got in there. We know that he's a great heel, um, but this awesome face, and of course the guy who idolizes Roddy Piper, you know, has just this fiery guy who grits his teeth and gets through the pain of this bullying performance that John Moxley put on. You know, his his act, if his future, it doesn't look like it is, but if his future was to become a heel, Man, the stuff he could do with faces, with just the way that his brawling, you know, tough, rough as guts, rough as guts style, that that translates really well into being a bully. And it did in this match. You know, he was just overpowering MJF. He had scorn for MJF, scorn for the crowd. Like, I've been carrying this company and you guys are now booing me against this guy he could become a really great heel if they ever wanted to do that. I don't know if you'd want him to do that because he's kind of like the heart and soul of the company at this point. Uh, But if he wanted to, maybe this was like, you know, Tanahashi against um, Tanahashi playing heel. Uh, I remember a really great match against Nakamura where Tanahashi was just ruthless and he even got the crowd booing him um, when he was going against Nakamura. And maybe that was what this was with Moxley. Um, you know, particularly if MJF is going forward, going to be a heel, which kind of looks like that's the way they're leaning. But, you know, there was that that potential. And and the crowd was just so into this. Uh, and then, of course, you got the final story wrinkle with William Regal tossing the brass knucks to MJF. Uh, and, you know, um, I wouldn't mind if, if MJF upgraded to the brass knucks. Of course, the dynamite diamond ring has been his sort of thing. Maybe that, that kind of goes onto someone else now and he starts using the brass knucks. I don't know. Uh, I'd be happy either way, but yeah, what a what a great pay per view! Uh, it was so fun to watch, so enjoyable, uh, and yeah, as I said, the reason that this podcast is titled "Full Full Gear and Farewell" isn't because Full Gear sucked. <laughs> it, I had a really fun time watching Full Gear, and I'm I, I, there's lots of potential in the stories that they've got going forward. Lots of potential matches going forward. You know, House of Black returning um, in in just commanding fashion on Dynamite this week was was great. And, you know, they, they seem to have lots of different things up their sleeve that, that they can pull out at any time, you know, with this partnership with DDT. We've got Konosuke Takeshja. And then, and then, of course, there's like, at some point, Adam Cole and Hangman Page are going to come back. And there's, of course, there's this potential, you know, maybe it's like a 5% chance, but what if CM Punk does come back? That would be absolutely mental. Um 
man, this this is a company that I feel like has got its mojo back a little bit. It, it's got its stride back. It had some tough times. It had some dark marks, some dark clouds hanging over it. They got through that, and I feel like coming out of full gear, they they've they're in a good place. They're in a very good place. And I'd also like to say, man, full gear. What a pay per view legacy that 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 show has. They, I think, I think of all of the the pay per views, Full Gear might be consistently the best. Um, you know, the first one you had the the great match with Cody and Jericho, and um, and and the program leading up to that was awesome. And then, of course, you've got the after the the great Moxley and Kingston, and then you've got the start of the Hangman and the start of the Hangman and Kenny. Well, their first singles match together. It wasn't the start of their program, of course, but um, you've got their singles match at, at the original Full Gear. You've also got um, Hangman versus Pack, which was awesome as well. Uh, and then, of course, at the the one after, you've got Eddie and Punk, and you've got Hangman and Omega again, uh, and yeah, Danielson and Miro. Uh, so many awesome things. And the bu- oh, the, the the one before that, the Bucks and FTR. Yeah, man, I think Full Gear. Full Gear may be the best pay-per-view. It, uh, it's not like their highest profile. I think Double or Nothing or All Out would have to be their highest profile. But, man, the quality of Full Gear is is mint. It is it is it has consistently been one of their best shows. So, yeah, thank you, AEW, for an awesome show with Full Gear. But let's move on. Um, as I said, the, the title of this podcast is Full Gear and Farewell. Uh, I started this podcast actually a year ago, just at this, around the time of Full Gear. I think it was maybe the week before Full Gear um, was the first episode. So I've been doing it for about a year. It's about 34 episodes or so. And I've really loved it. I have absolutely loved talking to so many people about great AEW matches, going back, digging into matches that you know I hadn't watched a second time before or matches that I had and just loved to death and just getting to luxuriate in the details it's been great. Um, and you know, I've been doing this for like six years now. Um, first as a writer, I started writing on the LOP forums back in the day and eventually it was on the, the Lords of Pain main page. And then the, it became wrestling headlines, which is what it is today. I'm doing columns. I ended up averaging about a column a week for like three and a half years or something like that, which is a pretty, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's you know that wasn't an easy pace to keep up i took a bit of a break and then i came in and did this podcast which you know i've i've done a podcast every once i think it's like two out of three weeks i've had a couple of breaks but for the most part and and i've loved doing it i i would encourage anyone who enjoys wrestling if you've got the time to dig if you've got the time to spend on it forcing yourself to dig in and, and think about a topic, think about matches, um, whether it's for writing or whether it's for a podcast, thinking about what, what makes you connect, think about how you can communicate about it, thinking about what works for you, what doesn't work for you. It it has absolutely increased my enjoyment of wrestling and it cre- in, in, uh, increased my appreciation of the art of professional wrestling across the board. And I would absolutely recommend it, something that people try if they've got time. But, you know... Time is a finite resource, um, and even though I've loved doing it, um, in 2022, I've just felt like the time that I have is to do this is getting 
pushed into a smaller and smaller box. And I don't know if I can do it to the level that I need, that I want to, um, with the box that's left for it. Um, to, to go more personal, this year I've actually, I've been to, in the last six months actually, I've been to three funerals. Um, one for my grandma, one for uh, a close, the father of a close family friend, and, and one for a friend's daughter who was like an hour old when she died. And it's impossible to have, to go to, th- go to things like that and not be changed by it. Like, they affect you deeply, particularly, man, the, the child dying, that, that was heartbreaking. And it's impossible to not think about your priorities and think about what you're doing. And even though I love wrestling and I love this podcast and I love what I've been able to to do with it and how I've been able to connect with so many people and, as I said, diving into so many things, it's given me so much joy. It's just not something that I feel like I can keep fitting into my life. And that's a shame. It really is uh, because... As I said, I've I've loved it. I've loved doing this, and it's a pre, it's helped me appreciate even more something that I already loved. But that's life. Life's about priorities, and it's about trade offs. Particularly as you get older, um, you know. I've got a four year old girl, and it, it she only takes up more and more time, and it's a joy to get to spend that time with her. Going like going to the pool with her every week, or taking her out to parks taking it to different things that she's learning. And, of course, I've got a career outside of this, and um, occasionally that also <laughs> intrudes on wrestling um, stuff, which, you know, and I can't justify sacrificing that, my livelihood, for, for this, unfortunately. Um, yeah, so, look, I, I've decided that this is most likely going to be the end of the podcast. As I said, never say never. Uh, I I don't know what I'm going to do with the definitive match guide list. Um, maybe around double or nothing next year, I will be able to have the time to do that. Um, you know, that's something that's not a weekly commitment. And that was another thing. Just I live in Australia. Most of the people I spoke to lived in America or England, so I was getting up at increasingly ridiculous hours. And I'm getting I'm an old man. I can't recover from staying up to one a.m. like I used to, and still go to work the next day. Um, I actually started one of the things I used to do years and years ago was I used to do Tour de France live live blogging, and that goes until about two a.m. in the morning here. Um, you know, I like provide for a website, sports website called The Raw. Um, it's actually where I posted my first pro wrestling articles and they're still up there if you want to, you know, if you really want to dig into some embarrassing writing, but I used to write these, I used to write these live blogs and, and updates for the race as they went and they would finish at like two o'clock. It'd be like two thirty in the morning before I'd, you know, done my final post, um, you know, wrapping up what had happened and I'd still go to work the next day. I cannot keep that pace anymore. I just cannot. I'm too old. <laughs> I see if I, I'm fucking old and I work with fucking children. Both of those. <laughs> um, you know. So, I don't know what's going to happen with, with it. Most likely, this is going to be the last podcast. I want to I wanna keep the feed up because I think they're, they're brilliant things to listen to. Um, and, you know, it's evergreen content. Anyone can listen at any time. It's You know, it's not timely. Uh, so... Yeah, that's what's that's what's happening, and 
stay tuned. I, I'm not planning on leaving social media completely. I've been a lot more quiet on that over the last couple of months. Um, unless Twitter completely dies, in which case, you know, the people who know where to find me will know where to find me. Uh, but, yeah, stay tuned on there. If, if anything ever happens again in the future, uh, I will let you know. Um, but as a as a sort of a a final thing, I as I said, I've been doing this since 2017. Like this is the sixth year I've been doing things, and so I thought I'd speak about um, as like a final thing. I, I thought I'd speak about what my favorite things have been in wrestling each year that uh, I've been doing this, and then give my thanks and sign off. So um, in 2017. There's there's a few things that I, I absolutely loved. Um, honorable mentions to Kazuchika Okada and versus Kenny Omega. Their first match in particular, as I've said on the podcast, blew my mind open to what wrestling could be. Uh, it, it was like looking at something and, and seeing, wow, this. It was looking at that match. I was given a, a vision of a different way that wrestling could be. At that point, I'd mostly just watched WWE. Um, caught very little outside of that. So Okada vs. Omega was mind-blowingly good and set me on a path that would end up with me <laughs> doing a podcast about AEW, about the, the, the promotion that Kenny Omega helped found. Um, the other thing would be, and those matches as well, that series stands up to this day. It's still the, the best in-ring, in-ring series I've seen. Uh, I, I don't think anything's topped it since. Um, lots of come close, lots have tried to, but nothing has topped that. That was the two best wrestlers in the world at that moment, meeting at the peak of their powers, having perfect chemistry together, uh, and and being able to pull off just the most amazing stuff. Um, the the second honorable mention, the Usos versus the New Day, I loved that series of matches. Uh, I loved how the Usos flipped up their character. In It started in 2016. I actually wrote an article about it. Um, I think the article's yeah the article's gone now. It was on the the Lords of Pain forums. I'm um, talking about how the the Usos flipped their character towards the end of 2016, um, and and how they you know lent into these more thuggish characters, uh, and how that you know finalized itself in that brilliant Hell in a Cell match that these two guys had together. You know the Uso Penitentiary, um, and they ended up getting locked in a in a cage with the New Day. This was just a brilliant series, uh, and, and it had so many high points, you know, the promo back and forth, the rap battle that they had, but in the ring was just great tag team wrestling. Uh, and, you know, I, I still think that's the best stuff the Usos have, and the New Day have done as tag teams. Uh, I also love the New Day's series against, uh, more match against The Shield um, that happened later that year, but ultimately it was... Uh, the Usos and the New Day's tag team performance that year was just brilliant. But the, my favorite thing that year was, and the reason that I started writing about wrestling actually was was Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins. Those the Shield were my favorite faction. Uh, I think I think the Elite have probably surpassed them at this point. But for a long time, the Shield were my favorite faction, and I still hold them very dear. And in particular, the rivalry between Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins. And the way that those two went at each other through 2014 and 2015, and and then also in 2016, is what made me an ongoing fan of wrestling. Like, 2014, 
as I've said before, I came to see Daniel Bryan, but I stayed to see The Shield, particularly Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins. And them finally reuniting was some of the most emotionally engaging wrestling stuff I'd seen. I don't even I don't know if anyone uh, anywhere else in WWE have they told a story of brotherhood and positive masculinity like this one where Seth is is coming back and they didn't just immediately reunite they had to work through a lot of stuff because even though they're two faces they've got so much history together and so much story and so much baggage um and you know even before that uh, earlier that year when they're on the same brand there's this brilliant moment backstage where Seth is the IC champion and Dean Ambrose is uh no Seth isn't the IC champion Seth is is uh Dean is the Intercontinental Champion, and he is interviewing the different people that he could potentially face. They're going to have this fatal four-way. I think there's The Miz, Finn Balor, Seth Rollins, and someone else. I don't know who that other person is. Maybe it was only three. But anyway, the point is they had this segment, and even though they're both faces, there's this tension there. And Seth Rollins says something like, you know, Seth might be able to surprise Dean with some new things that he's got. And Dean says, no, Seth surprised Dean once before. It won't happen again. And it's just the most blood-chillingly moment because there's so much tension and so much weight in that. And then they went and they had this five-week journey where each week they're just dredging up their baggage. At one point, Seth offers the, the fist to Dean and he refuses initially. And then because of how much of a dickhead Dean's being about it and how stuck in the mud Dean's being. Dean sticks his fist out and Seth Seth rejects it. And the look on Dean Ambrose's face at that point is just like, are you fucking serious, mate? Are you fucking serious? After all we've been through, I finally do this. And Seth walks away because Dean's been acting like a prick and rightly so. And then they have this brilliant exchange where... Seth gives Dean a chair and says, like, just do it. Get it out of your system. I'm not going to stop you. And Dean can't bring himself to do it because he he knows that ultimately Seth is his brother and he loves him. And then they finally get back together and, and have this brilliant match, the series with the bar. Um, you know, that was the best thing, like some of the best stuff I'd ever seen in pro wrestling at that point. And I just could not help but write about it. Uh, and that's, as I said, that's the thing that made me start writing about writing about wrestling so moving along 2018 honorable mentions mustafa ali on 205 live i love 205 live in 2018 it was such a good show it was easily the best show that wwe was producing at that point it was just like this 45 minute awesome sprint of wrestling they would have great trios matches with the lucha I think the lucha house party they were called um you'd have guys like brian kendrick uh, you know, having these great programs down the down the uh, down the card, and then you would have at the top of the card you had Mustafa Ali as the heart of the promotion. He never won that. He never won the championship, but he was the anchor for that promotion. And you know, wrestling after SmackDown had gone off air in the worst possible situation, he would still manage to get the crowd on his side. I have so much respect for Mustafa Ali for how he was able to to generate a fan movement and, and engagement from the fans in the worst possible situation. They could not have had more working against them, and yet he did it. That was, of course, he had 
a great a number of great matches with Buddy Murphy. He had a great match with Drew Gulak. I've got a, an article where I spoke about. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. The match with Drew Gulak, it was like a 1,500-word article. That is a brilliant match. He had a really good program with, with um, Hideo Itami, Kenta. Kenta was brilliant in 205 Live. I hated the people who were talking about how Kenta is finally back and you know he's dusted off the crappy 205 Live rust. He was brilliant in 205 Live. Like his his role at the top, he was like the Brock Lesnar of 205 Live. It was it was fantastic. Um, that that year of 205 Live was great. It's a shame that it went to the shit after it. they pulled out all their best wrestlers and then were like, oh, why does no one care about this anymore? Um, yeah, anyway, that was the less said about what happened after 2018, the better. Um, but 2018 for 205 Live was mint. Really great stuff. Um, Seth Rollins, I say title run, honorable mention. Loved this. As I said, like coming off the back of him, reuniting with Dean Ambrose. This was a, a brilliant return to, you know, the singles. Like, that, he was pretty... He was like the Raw champion as the Intercontinental champion because Brock was off TV so much. Um, so he was doing the... You know, his his title was the most prestigious title on the show most of the time. You know, he main-evented a number of pay-per-views that year with the IC title. Uh, and... This had me believing in Seth Rollins as a face. Um, it, it didn't go the way that I planned. I think if maybe they'd gone with him at SummerSlam in 2018, then, you know, when he was hot and the crowd was so into him, it, then maybe his his WWE face championship run goes differently. Um, but it didn't happen. But this this IC title run, starting with, you know, before he won the title and, and you know starting with that brilliant gauntlet match where he beat Roman and John Cena in the one match. Really great stuff. He had awesome triple triple threat opener to, to WrestleMania that year with The Miz and Finn Balor, a really great um, ladder match with The Miz, Finn Balor, and Samoa Joe. And then uh, one of my favorite IC title matches of all time versus The Miz at Backlash. Really great stuff. And then he was just having these great little fortnightly programs where he'd have like a you know, interaction with someone one week and then the match the next. And, you know, he, had, he dragged great matches out of, like, Mojo Rawley and, um, and uh, Jinder Mahal at that point. You know, not exactly the greatest working talent in the world, but Seth made it engaging. It was it was a really great run, um, and I, I loved that. Uh, he was my he was my WWE Wrestler of the Year that year, even though by the end of it he probably wasn't as hot as... as he definitely wasn't as hot as Becky Lynch at that point. Um, and then... Just one other thing from 2018, Tanahashi versus Ibushi. That's my favorite from the G1 Climax that year. That's my favorite. Um, that G1 Climax was so good, but that's my favorite match of all time, Tanahashi versus Ibushi. Well, except for Falco versus Sid Parker, but that's a different story. <laughs> um, uh, none of you guys would know the Falco versus Sid Parker match. It is on YouTube, but you'll never connect with it the way I did because Falco is one of my best mates. Um, but Tanahashi versus Ibushi, um, you know, just this brilliantly cinematic and, and physical match. Tanahashi, you know, refusing, roaring against the dying light, and uh, Ibushi trying to to kill his god. Incredible match. Um, there's heaps of analysis about that. I won't go into too much. But my favorite thing in 2018 was the Elite Civil War. 
Oh, man, this is what made me an Elite fan. Uh, I loved watching Omega versus Jericho at Wrestle Kingdom that year. That got the year off to a good start, and I was like, I'm going to follow these guys. They came to Australia as well, which helped. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. They're coming to Australia. I'll buy tickets to see that. Um, and that was in late 2017 that I bought those tickets. Uh, and then I started watching BTE and seeing this story that they were sculpting with Cody just being like this Machiavellian, like almost Littlefinger from from uh, Game of Thrones, just whispering like sweet nothings in the ear of Hangman Page and and uh, the Young Bucks. And then Kenny Omega reuniting with, and, and that ultimately turning them against him, but Kenny Omega reuniting with Kota Ibushi. And I, at that point, I discovered the history of the Golden Lovers, and I was like, wow, this, this like mythos goes deep. And the thing I loved most about it was everyone acting in a believable way, true to their character, like Hangman Page in that. He got upstaged by Kenny Omega, so of course he's going to be pissed off about it. Cody Rhodes, he didn't leave the WWE to be like the second in the Bullet Club, to be like the deputy leader. He left to be the man, so of course he's going to. like, And he he sees himself as a bigger deal than Kenny Omega, as a bigger star than Kenny Omega. He's got the pedigree. He's got the history on his side, so of course he's going to you know, rub against Omega trying to be the Bullet Club's leader. Uh, and then, of course, it like is is climaxed in the brilliant, brilliant tag match between the Golden Lovers and the Young Bucks. And then the Kazichiro Okada two out of three falls match. Oh, man, it's like two of the greatest matches ever a part of this program. Uh, how can it not be incredible? And, of course, like the Kenny Omega Cody Rhodes stuff almost was like in ring was like, it's not the main part of the story, even though it kind of is for like the story of the leadership that should be the main matches, but Kenny winning those other, ma- like those other matches are the emotional heart of the story, right? Even though the stakes are technically tied to the Cody and Kenny ones, it doesn't matter who cares. That is what made me a fan of the elite. That stretch of BTE and matches in new Japan and ring of honor loved it. And I was fully on board with, with uh, them from that moment. And I was like, these guys know what it takes to tell a, to tell a wrestling story that this could work on, you know, a more mainstream weekly level. And look, it has, <laughs> I think the result speaks for itself. Uh, let's move on. 2019 honorable mentions, Cody Rhodes face run in 2019. Brilliant stuff. The match against Dustin, the match against, um, against Sean Spears was pretty good. I thought the match against, oh, the match against Jericho. So good. Oh man. Like I remember just mentioning something when I was watching Sean Spears, I was like, when Cody is in the ring, the audience is different. And, you know, as I said, like being the top guy is about eliciting emotion. And in 2019, Cody Rhodes could elicit the most insane emotion from the WW from the AEW fan base. Uh, and uh, he was just brilliant as the the heart of the promotion at that point. Kofi Mania, um, you know, that was just such a great face face run from from Kofi Kingston. Um, I I called it early as well. I called it straight after the cage match, straight after the elimination match, elimination cage match. I was like, Kofi Kingston needs to be the the champion at WrestleMania. 
Uh, and it it became brilliant run. Uh, I'm gonna have to keep get, keep moving. I can't go into depth about that too much. But Daniel Bryan, man, that was a brilliant performance from him uh, as the the foil to Kofi. That elimination chamber match was, I think, my favorite elimination chamber match ever. Um, and it was all about Daniel Bryan. He was in it from start to finish. He was the center of that match. He was obviously the one that organized it and was and ring generaled it. it was brilliant. Um, and then their WrestleMania match, man, Kofi, Daniel Bryan made Kofi feel like a main eventer in a way that no one has been able to before or after. Uh, and Kofi lived up to his part of the bargain. That is not a slight at Kofi, Kofi's performance at WrestleMania there. Uh, and then lastly, I'd just say Shingo, <laughs> Shingo Takagi and Will Ospreay ripping it up in New Japan. I loved New Japan in 2019. I think I liked it even more than AEW in 2019. Uh, and that was a large part of that was off the backs of Shingo Takagi and Will Ospreay. They were in everything. They were in the, G- <laughs> the juniors. They were in the G1. They were everywhere, up and down the card. And they were just brilliant. Uh I love both of those, watching both of those guys wrestle. They're so physical, so athletic. They both bring different things to the table. And when they fight each other, man, oh man, is it good. That's that's one of the best in-ring combinations ever. Um, but my favorite thing in 2019, I mean, no surprise, this is John Moxley. <laughs> the emergence of John Moxley. My heart broke in early, you know, in, in I think it was January or February when Dean Ambrose announced his leaving the company. This has been the guy who's been my fan anchor, leaving the WWE. I didn't know what was going to happen. And then we get John Moxley, and oh my God, the week after his, he showed up at Double or Nothing, dropped the Jericho podcast, and wrestled Juice Robinson. That will always remain in my head as one of my favorite ever times as a wrestling fan. He was the hottest man in all of wrestling. And since we've we've seen him become that on a regular basis since, but you know, at that point it felt like he hadn't, he had been suffering from, you know, booking difficulties. I'll say in the, in the WWE since 2016, when he was the hottest face in, in, in the WWE at the start of 2016. Um, it hadn't been like that for like three years. And then all of a sudden he is the talk of the wrestling world and backing it up in the ring as well. You know, like that match with Juice Robinson will always be special to me. And I think it's special to John Moxley as well. Cause you know, like they've brought Juice Robinson into AEW. I don't like, he hasn't wrestled anyone other than John Moxley at this point. And, it may well have just been that they did it as a favor to John Moxley because they're mates or something. <laughs> and then not only does he wrestle that, he goes, a, you know, a few days later, he goes, I want to wrestle the G1. And it's like, oh my gosh, I'm a bit nervous at this point because I believe in John Moxley, but the G1 is a different beast. And then he goes in there and slays it. Got injured, of course, but he returns in in even more furious fashion. Um, I didn't actually like the match with Kenny Omega that much, to be honest, that year. I loved other matches since, but they've had. But, uh, yeah, John Moxley being the hottest thing in the world in 2019 was easily my favorite thing that year and breathed fresh life into my fandom because I think in 2019 I stopped watching the WWE uh, and it could well have uh, gone a different way if it wasn't for John Moxley and AEW and Shingo and Will in New Japan. Lots of things there. Anyway, continuing on, 2020, um, my favorite. Honorable mentions to Kenny and Hangman as a tag team. 
Um, the drama that they told, you know, they had that brilliant match with the Young Bucks, which I loved breaking down with Rich Ladder. Um, that was, you know, such an inspired pairing that those, those two, they had so much history together, but they turned out to have so much in-ring chemistry together as well. And, you know, the will they, won't they at different points, and then they finally did break up, just heartbreaking stuff. Um, you know, I've broken all that down with Caro and Libby Cadman, and we had the the stadium stampede, the first stadium stampede as part of that. That pairing was beautiful. And, you know, one day in two years' time or something, I hope they reprise it in AEW. Um, and of the other honorable mention from 2020 I wanted to bring up was uh, Kazichiro Okada and Tetsuya Naito's match at Wrestle Kingdom. That was my match of the year. I have never heard a crowd like I heard for that match. When they went back and forth with each other um, and they were trading blows, the crowd was so into it, so loud. Um, and on the grandest stage, the two biggest stars of their generation going at each other, um, and Naito finally overcoming. Man, the feeling I had when he hit that shooting star press was... And I'm not even a giant Naito fan, right? But just, I let myself get carried away with the story and the emotion in that match, and it was so good. Um, that was my match of the year that, that year, and it, st- it still stands out as one of my favorite matches ever. Purely for, like, the, the in-ring quality was right there, but the story and the emotion that I felt in that match was so good. But my favorite thing in 2020, <laughs> no prizes for guessing, is John Moxley as AEW champion, man. What the pandemic would have been without John Moxley as champion. <coughs> Excuse me. Man, he carried that company through its darkest time. There was a lot of other stuff going on around him that was great as well, Cody and whatnot. But the matches that Mox got to have with Brody Lee, Brian Cage, Darby Allen, Lance Archer, and then finally Eddie Kingston, and then Kenny Omega to end it all. What a year he had. And this felt like such vindication. This is a guy that I'd been riding as a fan since 2014, believing in as the top potential top guy of this industry and been you know advocating for as a as a commentator in since 2017 and he gets there and not only does he does he pull it off he pulls it off in such an incredible way that is i that's still my favorite run of his this one this year was great of course but Man, that one was, I think, one of the best face, pure face championship runs that there's been in American wrestling in, you know, as long as you want to go, as far as you want to go back. Um, the the way that he connected with the audience through television without an audience being there was masterful and shows just how much of a master of his craft John Moxley is. Uh, and the matches he had, every one of them was so violent and gritty, and they felt like they felt so impactful, and they felt so much like championship matches. Um, you know, I've broken down the Brody match and the Derby match and the Eddie match, which were probably the three favorite um, of of that championship run um, for, for everyone really. And and John Moxley in them is just such a violent believable, authentic champion. And on the mic, his mic work that year was just so good. He exuded top guy energy um, and just exuded this fighting blue-collar worker spirit. You know, this guy's like Bruce Springsteen molded into wrestling. Um, 
and I just love watching it, man. 2020 was just a year of validation for me as a as a person who had become such a big fan of this guy, seeing him where I knew I always knew he could be and pull it off so well. Brilliant. Um that was my favorite thing in 2020. Moving on to 2021. Um so favorite memories of 2021, honorable mention to double or nothing 2021, which We'll always, you know, looking back at it, the cards a bit hit or miss, you know, the Stadium Stampede 2 isn't that great, but what a vibe. What a vibe. The return of crowds. Like, if you didn't cry when you were watching that, if you didn't feel so uplifted by it, then I don't know what you're doing. CM Punk's return, man, that was what a vibe as well. Like, the the energy that that brought, the wave of fan support and momentum that AEW had on the back of that. It felt like anything was possible. And Punk not only, like, carrying that energy, but backing it up in the ring. The match against Derby was pretty good, but then the program with Eddie, far out. It was so good. One of the best damn AEW feuds that there's been. It felt so hot. One of the best face-to-face confrontations on the mic there's been. You know, that guy... He called himself the best in the world. And and when he left, he left with a chip on his shoulder. And he justified it when he got back. You know, I don't care how it's, you know, it all ended up. Um, but he, when he was back and in peak form, he was brilliant. And such a great, such a great person to have on TV. And then the third honorable mention, the rise of Eddie Kingston. Um, that was the year I really became a fan of his. Um, I, I saw it, you know, how good he was in 2020, of course, the, the awesome program with, Ed, with Cody, the stuff he did with Mox. But 2021 was the year I got behind him as a fan. Uh, that was when he turned face, of course, saving John Moxley. Uh, and then he just had so many great programs. Every time he was in a program, it felt like life or death for him, and you just wanted to get behind him as a fan. Uh, it's always a joy, like discovering someone and learning how much you love and learning that you love someone um, as a fan. And that was a year I got behind Eddie Kingston. I'm still, still cheering my little heart out for him. Uh, I think 2022 hasn't been quite as red hot, even though it's been pretty, pretty good. Um, 2021, man, like the. The tag match with the Bucks, uh, the the stuff he ended up doing with CM Punk, the stuff he did with Daniel Bryan, with Brian Danielson. He had an awesome match with um, Miro. The program with Miro. Oh, oh, my heart, my heart, my heart. I cannot wait for the day. I don't know which which title it's going to be, but at some point, Eddie Kingston's going to win a title in AEW, and I think it's going to be one of the great moments in the history of that company. But my favorite thing in 2021, the climax of Hangman Adam Page's rise to the top of AEW. You could argue this was the first storyline they ever set up for AEW when Hangman Page went out there. He was one of the first people to come out and uh, and be announced at the first press conference, and he said, "I want to be the first AEW champion," uh, and he failed. At that, when he he wrestled Chris Jericho at All Out 2019 and failed at that, and he failed again, he failed again, failed a number of times, but he gradually built more and more support, and the crowd was so behind him. The most recent match that I reviewed was that five-on-five tag match between Hangman and the Dark Order and the Super Elite, and man, 
the earnestness with which they treated his character. Just the pure, unadulterated goodness that was Hangman Adam Page. He was everything virtuous, uh, in particularly in 2021. Uh, but he was also so authentic, so real. You know, talking about these these emotions of doubt, which are so relatable. And I know that didn't hit for everyone, but it did for me. Uh, and, and, and it felt very different. And just the fact that they managed to get this story that happened from you know, the start of the promotion and, and touched on things that had happened before the promotion even started. And they had thread that needle and they perfectly ended up with it climaxing with him beating Kenny Omega, finally beating Kenny Omega to win the title. And then, you know, his final match of the year was that one-hour draw with Brian Danielson where, like, not only has he beaten Kenny Omega, he has managed to match it with one of the greatest wrestlers ever um, in the world. And and they went for that one-hour draw. Man, at his peak, Hangman Page is such a special wrestler. I don't know if he's got the crossover appeal that someone like maybe MJF does. He's not, you know, he's not as outwardly charismatic as Sam JF, but I think for the fans of the company, the fans of pro wrestling, he is someone that is almost universally loved. Like WWE fans, they might not like AW, but they don't have anything bad to say about Hangman Page. In fact, most of them go, they've stuffed up Hangman Page. That's the reason I don't like AW. <laughs> so the reason AW sucks is they've stuffed him up. Um, you know, so that was was the peak of 2021 for me, that story. Uh, moving along, 2022, which we haven't finished yet, but so far, um, the, the highlights of that, Punk vs. MJF. Man, that feud was so good. It's such a shame that they didn't get to finish it off the way that they originally planned. What a fucking shame. Like, such a big shame. But what we got was brilliant. The particularly from the championship, the, the two-on-two, the, sorry, the the Chicago match where MJF won twice um, to the dog collar match was just brilliantly executed. They set it all up, of course, in the lead-up. Um, but the way that they took the audience for an emotional ride in that in that stanza of the, in that part of their feud was just absolutely brilliant. Of course, the punk, be my valentine, Shot, like that that thing and pulling out the dog collar saying be my valentine brilliant the mjf promo where he you know caught punk off guard with his vulnerability and then next week he sticks the knife in and twist it and twist it and twist it and then the bloody bloody match that they had <coughs> oh that was and the entrance from punk oh one more thing the entrance from punk misery kantara that was such that's one of the best feuds ever i think that and the hangman omega stuff probably the best like ongoing feuds that AEW has had has ever had um particularly from the way they tell a story um forbidden door 2022 what a vibe you know as someone who was a giant new japan fan and became a giant AEW fan this was something that you know you'd kind of dreamed about but you didn't want to get too excited about because what if it never happens and then it finally happens, and it was brilliant. And it, at the climax was John Moxley winning a fucking championship. How awesome. Um, but, yeah, no, what a vibe. I I really hope they do more Forbidden Door shows. Um, these things could be a license to print money. What a vibe. And the Trios title tournament, I loved that. I loved 
particularly you know the of course because it's it's hangman page and the elite stuff right like i'm just a sucker for that for me that is my wrestling crack right it's not for everyone some people call it amateur amateur drama club or whatever but for me it's the best um i just love that soap opera uh and and this trio's tournament was made for that soap opera uh, as well as you know having matches like Kenny Omega and the young you know the elite versus um Will Ospreay and Aussie Open you know brilliant but my favorite thing in 2022 no surprises John Moxley is champion just for a change you know he re- went away he was he was always going to return at some point but the way he roared back and just became you know this machine for producing matches um and got to have his championship run in front of crowds um that he didn't get in 2020 um as i said i think i liked the 2021 a little bit more from a purely like match perspective but this was still just brilliant he felt he still feels like the biggest deal well he probably doesn't still feel like it but over summer in particular he felt like and um I guess it's spring in the United States, autumn over here, but spring in the United He felt like the biggest deal in wrestling, all of wrestling. And he remains like, I, I think he has what I'd call the Undertaker spot in AEW. And I'm not saying he is the Undertaker. And I'm not saying he has a legacy that rivals the Undertaker. Although, given a few more years, he may be there because the Undertaker... No, let's not go there. <laughs> but given a few more years, he may be there. But he has that spot on the roster where he doesn't need to be... He can be champion. And when he is champion, it uh, is a good thing because it, you know, it needs... He needs to be there because, you know, they're in a dark spot and they just need to go break safety glass, Moxley's champion. But he is champion because he is a proving ground. If you can match it with Mox, you don't even necessarily need to beat John Moxley, but if you can match it with John Moxley, you are a made quantity in AEW. Like he is the ultimate measuring stick in the company, and he showed that so much in 2022. And of course, you had brilliant, you know, brilliantly violent matches, the stuff with Wheeler Yuta. What an incredible match. You had the anarchy in the arena, insanity. You had Blood and Guts, which I thought was pretty underrated. You had the match with Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um, so many. The the I really liked the program with Punk. That was divisive as hell, but I really liked it. It's probably because I'm a John Moxley fan and a Sam Punk fan, but I really liked it. And, and you know, the stuff with MJF, I think he's gone off the boil a little bit, and it was probably time for him to, to not be champion anymore. Um, it was probably time for him not to be champion anymore at All Out, to be honest. But uh, circumstances, <laughs> he cut the the promo of his life afterwards, though. Just another reason that he was my highlight of 2022. <coughs> so thank you for indulging me. This is a final podcast, so I, I thought that it was proper that I indulge myself completely. Thank you for listening to it. And the last thing I wanted to do is, as I said, I've been a very, very happy contributor for to the... Um, the internet wrestling community out there. You know, I don't have... I'm not the biggest commentator out there, but I've built up a bit of a platform, to be honest. And, and it's been a pleasure and an honor. Uh, and, and for people who've been reading my work or listening to my work since the beginning or even since the end, uh, you know, even just in these last few months then, I really appreciate it. One thing I would say is people who create content, you should thank them if you enjoy it. Let them know. Because particularly for most of us who don't 
do it for money in a big way. You know, maybe there's a few dollars here or there, but the the engagement and the the thankfulness is is what fuels the fire. And every time I've had someone say something to me about how they've enjoyed it, it's just made my day um, because you put so much energy and effort into these things. Um, and so it means a lot when, when someone connects with it uh, and, and someone acknowledges that. So I wanted to thank people. Um, if this is the last thing that I do as a podcaster, then I wanted to thank people. Um, first people I wanted to thank, the Lords of Pain Forum guys. So Lords of Pain is a, a website that came about in like the, the 90s of wrestling um, and for a while was a really big place. Um, and it's kind of waned in its in its relevance, but f- they've for the longest time had the most brilliant forum place, um, forum for discussing wrestling, particularly the Columns Forum. A lot of really supportive and knowledgeable writers. So thanks first to, to Plan, who won't be listening to this because he doesn't, he doesn't even follow wrestling anymore. Um, and the Doc Chad Matthews. They were my inspirations for writing at first. I wanted to be able to write like them. I, I, cop- I shamelessly copied particularly Plan a lot early on. <laughs> just shamelessly copied him. Uh, I always tried to give him credit, but I, I just shamelessly copied his, his work. And he was very encouraging. And I actually developed a really great friendship with him um, at one point there. And the doc, both of these guys actually told me to write for Lords of Pain. I f- posted my first columns on the Raw, and they said, hey, you should write at Lords of Pain. Um, we think you've got something, and if you want, you could take it further. Um, and the doc, man, the doc has just been such a good friend. He is an ornament. He He should be... Like on the day, I reckon he should be on the Dave Meltzer level of like people we give reverence. He's written two, a few brilliant books about wrestling, two in particular, The Book of Sports Entertainment and The Greatest Matches and Feuds um, of Sports Entertainment History um, or of the WrestleMania era, I think. Uh, and both of them are brilliant. Um, you should read them. I've done a podcast with him. I've done podcasts on his old podcast. So thank you to both of those guys. Um, the support you gave me early on, the, the point in the right direction was invaluable uh and and i will be forever in your debt and i still love chatting to to doc i still love chatting to you about wrestling even though you're not on twitter anymore uh, i love chatting to you about wrestling um if you're listening miss fan uh, miss fan is just a delight if you don't follow miss fan on twitter you should he's at spectral gent he is just one of the most knowledgeable guys you'll ever find about in with wrestling he has watched more wrestling than i would wager 99.9% of wrestling fans have watched. He has done a number of brilliant things, but the thing I wanted to thank him most for is just how much I enjoy chatting to him about wrestling, how much of a positive presence he is, uh, how he's so encouraging of people who... um, He's so encouraging of people having an authentic view that isn't necessarily what the mainstream view is, uh, and how welcoming he is of different styles different takes different thoughts um he is one of just one of the best people in the internet wrestling community and i'm i I still love chatting to him about wrestling but i am so thankful that he is around Uh, my partner in crime imp he's the person i've probably done the most podcasts and and stuff with i've done countless columns with him reviewing new japan stuff um done aw podcast he's been on my podcast more than anyone else i think uh thanks mate 
<laughs> you know, it's it's always fun chatting to you. Um, Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. Early on, him and I started writing at the same time. Um, there was a great sense of competitiveness between us. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's so awesome seeing him now going on and, you know, like writing themes that are showing up in AEW. He's, he's the rapper on Marina Shafir's theme. How fucking awesome is that? Like... Um, and I get to talk to this guy, and, and he is just someone who is always completely honest, um, but also such a great communicator. He's so funny to listen to. I love love listening to those guys on One Nation Radio. James Boyd as well. Um, I've, I've probably interact more with Rich because we started writing together at the same time. Um, but James is also just he's just a, a take no shit kind of guy, um, and he'll always have he'll he'll be up front with you when he thinks you're you're talking trash and (laughs) he knows what I'm talking about. But at the same time, he's someone that you can have just a genuine debate with. And the end of it, you're just like, we're still wrestling fans and we're just talking about wrestling. It never gets, you know, into personal insults or anything like that with James. It's just, he's a fun guy to talk to um, and a fun guy to debate with as well. Uh, I've got to mention Type, who, like Rich, we started writing it around about the same time, uh, and and there was just a great competitiveness between us. There was between Rich, Type, and and also Clive from the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Podcast. We all started writing around about the same time, and it was just such a great. It was so cool to you know be in that. You wanted your, you wanted to be like the hot nothing coming guy, but you'd always know that if you didn't write a column that week, then they would write something, and if that gets hot, then then maybe they would be the hot nothing coming guy. And even though it was only on like a little forum thing with maybe you know like fifty people, twenty, thirty, fifty people who read it, you know, you still wanted to be the man. <laughs> you wanted to be the ace, uh, and. Uh, you know, we had a great little, you know, competitive, but also really friendly um, rivalry. And, you, you know, you got to chat about other stuff as well. Uh, I'll, I'll shout out as well to Mav and Mazza from the right side of the pond. I doubt they're listening, <laughs> but thanks to those guys. that was That's still probably my favorite wrestling podcast of all time. Those guys, along with Plan, so knowledgeable. Um, Dave Fenichel, the eternal optimist, the, the chief booger eater out there. I... I love being in group chats with Dave. Completely honest about his opinion. Um, he'll, but but also in a very enjoyable way to debate with, um, and you know, very provocative, but always really encouraging as well. Um, and just all the people I've missed at the Lords of Pain forum. Um, I really miss that. You know, that place has really died off, and I I, I like to think that I tried to help bring it back to life when I was writing on the main page at Lords of Pain. Uh, I don't know how successful I was. Primetime, Steve, Dino. I doubt these people will even meet Donnie. Um, lots of Ds there, isn't there? I, you know, there's, there's a chance that these guys won't even hear that, but I really wanted to, to bring give that place life because it was such a brilliant place. Skits. Um, and it seems like it's died off now, but... Who knows? Maybe if Twitter dies, then people will come back. <laughs> um, beyond the Lords of Pain guys, the Social Suplex dudes. Look, as I said, I mentioned James Boyd before. Jeremy Donovan, who who is the owner or the the boss behind Social Suplex. Thank you for giving me this um, this platform. It means a lot. Thanks for for you and Young Boy inviting me on your show. Social, um, keeping it strong style. 
um, to Floyd and Dan Coffin, the other all the other guys, but particularly Floyd and Dan Coffin. I love chatting to you guys about wrestling. Um, thanks to the guy, the rest of the guys at Social Suplex. It's a great podcast network. Um, and, and yeah, I get a lot of energy from that to, to Gareth from pro wrestling musings. He's probably my other, my other great mate. Um, I don't know how we ended up chatting to each other originally, but we've become fast friends and I, yeah, thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for, for talking to me about wrestling on here. Thanks for being on the podcast at the drop of a hat at times. Um, yeah, you're a great writer and, and I, I look forward to every time you post something. Craig also from pro wrestling musings, the, the leader, the the owner of Pro Wrestling Musings and the stats guy, it, it meant a lot to me when you reached out to me early on in AEW's run. I think you were doing a, a collaborative thing, and you said, "I'm I'm looking for people who seem to be writing in depth and intelligently about AEW." And at that point, I wasn't sure that anyone was reading what I was writing because <laughs> um, I was not getting as much engagement I would have liked. And you reaching out to me really meant a lot to me then. And that really fueled my fire for a long time writing about AEW. The fact that like this person from another website has reached out to me and they want my thoughts on something. Uh, and, and I've loved doing a few things with pro wrestling musings, like writing a few articles, um, contributing to things, going on the podcast that you guys had at one point. Um, and yeah, I, I, I love, I love the, the things that you do. It's unique. It's, it's interesting. And, and I love, the thing that I hate in wrestling media is how fucking sameish so many people are. How many of the repeated takes you see? How many of the boring, like cheap takes that you see? They're just hot takes, and they're so lame. So people, and it, it bores me. It, it frustrates me so much, particularly when I was writing. It frustrated me that those are the things that drove traffic the most. the The article that I wrote that got the most engagement ever um, was such a crappy article i i don't i don't like it i didn't love the fact that i wrote it the things that i always put effort into uh, and i felt like were unique and were were you know really thoughtful pieces never got the kind of engagement that i wanted to and the stuff that craig does at pro wrestling musings is unique and so people like him should get so much support um, I, I love that, and along li- along those lines, the guys at Wrestle In. Um, when I was doing the defini- the first definitive match guide, I reached out to Wrestle In and said, "Hey, I love what you guys are doing. Would any of your writers like to contribute to this?" And he passed it on, and I got a whole bunch of people who um, hit me up uh, and, and voted in the definitive match guide. Um, who are from Wrestle In, and the stuff they do over there, it's different to Pro Wrestling Musings, but I love that it's different. You know. Um, and you know, there's a big focus on niches in pro in wrestling, wrestling. So shout out to those guys. Uh, thinking of people I've, who've been on the definitive match guide as well. Howard, I love Howard. He's just such a fun guy to chat to. Um, and, and he's so encouraging again. Uh, but you know, it, it's just in, in, it's a joy to talk to people who are happy to give you some time a day and, and, and think things through and and be really thoughtful with what they're saying. Sergi, uh, I love having you on the podcast. I wish I could have had you on more. Um, Sam Roberts, likewise. Uh, and then, look, just everyone who's contributed to the Definitive Match Guide list or the, the podcast here... Um, there's too many to too many to list. <laughs> I'm sorry that I've missed some of you. Caro, Libby Cadman, 
Um, loved speaking to both of you guys about the elite. Um, backup hangman, bringing a lot of attention to this thing because you've got a giant outsized presence. Um, yeah, look, those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head um, and that I've listed down. I'm sorry if I've forgotten anyone. Um, and yeah, look, I just wanted to, to leave, I guess, saying thank you to everyone who's ever listened, everyone who's left a piece of feedback. I really appreciate it. I, I'm still going to be around, so you can still follow me on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. You can always email me, sambrownmedia at gmail.com. You know, if Twitter immolates, then you'll have that at least. <laughs> and I'll tell you where you can, I'll, I'll slip you some messages on some other forums where it's maybe, you know, not my, <laughs> maybe it's my, my personal accounts that I, I don't put out to the wrestling sphere because um, I don't want that. I don't want all that. Ray Cash, how did I forget Ray Cash? The Outsider's Edge. You know, someone like Greg DeMarco at the chair shot, I disagree with him a lot, but I love talking to him. And I enjoy listening to his takes as well. There's there's people I've absolutely forgotten. But thank you. Thank you so much. As I said, I'm not leaving because I am burnt out. Although I have maybe a little bit, I don't know. But I'm not leaving because wrestling, I, I hate wrestling anymore. I'm not leaving because... I don't love doing this podcast. Um, Time is just a priority. Uh, It is just a thing that is inescapable. I still love AEW and I still love wrestling and I still love chatting about it. So thank you for indulging me today. Thank you for listening to the Match Guide podcast. This is awesome, guys. How the fuck did I forget those guys? You guys are the best. You guys have the best. Everyone should, if you've enjoyed my podcast, if you do one thing after doing this podcast you haven't done before, subscribe to This Is Awesome. I basically ripped their podcast format off them and they said it was okay. And then they came on this podcast as well. Um, So follow those guys and subscribe to their podcast because they do brilliant stuff as well. Uh, Anyway, I will continue remembering people as I try and hang this this up. But thank you for listening. I appreciate it so much. Uh, And I... Yeah, I look forward to continuing to chat to you about wrestling. I look forward to continuing to enjoy AEW, focusing on the positives of wrestling fandom. Uh, And yeah, maybe we'll see you again one day soon. But until then, you can follow me on Twitter, Sir underscore Samuel. Thank you to Social Suplex for having me. All of, listen to all of the shows we've got here. Um, One Nation Radio, Keeping It Strong Style, Grave Consequences, um, all about all elite. No, all things elite. My bad. <laughs> Sorry, Floyd. <laughs> and yeah, I, I hope you have a great day and I'm, I will see you again one day soon. Thanks and bye. <laughs>